360. It's 361. Okay. Um, what? The okay. ketchup. The ketchup episode was supposed to be 361, and Matt right. lied to me and said we didn't plan one. I I I didn't say we didn't plan one. I said oh, I thought this was our first one. Yeah. Um. Okay. So yeah. Right. I, also, I was like ketchup. What are we, we did an episode about ketchup. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh. Welcome to episode 361 of the Fascinating Podcast. We're back. It's a podcast about the fascinating people and the events at the heart of our cultural conversations. I'm Kathy Kong. I'm Matt Michalotis. And I'm J.R. Foresteros. On this week's show, Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg helps us think about what repentance and repair looks like, especially at the level of church, company, or national uh, systems. But before that, we just have to celebrate the fact that we are back for season 11, which Woo-hoo! if you're wondering how we calculate seasons, yes, entirely arbitrary. So uh, <laughs> less important that it's season 11. But Kathy, 11 seasons. 11 seasons. For you on Fascinating. Wait, really? Wait, 11, 11 seasons since Kathy uh, came? Yes. So oh. Wait, how many seasons have we been doing this podcast? So many. This is our 361st episode. That's 161 what? with Kathy. That's almost one a day. If someone started this season, people could yeah, listen to almost. our podcast one a day for a year to catch up. I guess in four more episodes, we'll have to celebrate that. Although we did delete some old ones, actually. Yeah, true. Yeah, but we also have some bonuses, right? Oh, yeah, so, we do. Uh, we do. Uh, oh, you can probably do it a year right out. now. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, a lot a lot of pod in your ear holes from the fascinating <laughs> pals. Like a, um, like a bunch of whales. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we, Kathy's we, giving me the weirdest look right now. What? What? We have basically a whole season calendar planned out of some good, some real bangers coming up. So pretty excited about that. Except we didn't discuss that we had Dune 2 on the schedule and it got pushed. Oh, Whose fault is that, I wonder? Uh, the studios. We know it's the studios. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the owners. It's always the owners. Yep. So, uh, yeah, anyone, well, you're going to, you're, you're telling a story at the end that our listeners are definitely going to stick around for because it is maybe one of the most historic moments in this history of our podcast since Kathy joined the show. Oh, so, I was like, what are you talking about? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 I so listeners, a, I thought it was a big deal. Apparently I'm, it, I mean, it was a big deal. It absolutely was a big deal. I mean, I yeah. had it written down on my calendar specifically Okay. So, about that. So yes. Yeah. All right. Well, JR, do you want to tell us about our guest? I do. This is someone all three of us were already big fans of before she agreed to come on the show. And so when she joined our call, we all three sort of just embarrassed ourselves by how much we were freaking out, (laughs) Um, which I think both delighted and a little bit embarrassed her. But uh, it is Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. She is an award-winning author and writer who also serves as scholar-in-residence at the National Council of Jewish Women. Uh, She is terrific. She has so many books and awards. She has written for all, basically every major publication that's cool, she's written for them. And, you know, I think really today was about her being the crown jewel. You know, the crown jewel uh, is putting the fascinating podcast in there. So, um, yeah, we are, we we had a very long interview with her and uh, there's really no point in uh, messing around any longer. We should let you get to our interview with the one and only Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. 
Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg, welcome to the Fascinating Podcast. It's such an honor to have you on our season 11 premiere. It is such a delight to be here. Thank you so much for having me. We always like to ask our first-time guests, what is something that fascinates you in your life? Oh, Lordy. Um, <laughs> what you doesn't? Is, is... <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a girl who can rabbit hole, so... Um, yes! Any, you know, anything caught your, caught your fancy recently? I mean, I've been going hard on, uh, you know, the Assyrian and Babylonian Empire lately. Mm, mm. Not the, the Roman Empire. Oh, no. <laughs> no, those guys. No, I mean, that's basically just like uh, wh- whiteness. Ick. Yeah. Christianity yeah. domination, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like pathways to white supremacy. Yeah. Um, colonialism. That explains um, so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, wait, I so mean, wait, we're would stuck you not with the Roman Empire. The, so like the Assyrians, would you say they're not colonialist or what? No, 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 no. Babylonians and Assyrians, totally colonialist, but oh, gotcha. um, they're Less not successful. the footprint <laughs> to modern colonialism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the gotcha. Romans are the the pathways to modern colonialism that we have today. Yeah. Like we watch them come in and basically destroy everybody's culture and language in, in ways that are familiar and known. Um, and I'm stuck with the Roman empire. Like I literally just <laughs> had to dig up some sources for somebody on, um, on something totally unrelated on, uh, you know, uh, physician assisted not a physician assisted suicide on, on on death with dignity and one of the sources is like well you know the great jewish revolt has happened and the bar Kokhba revolt failed and so now the romans are going off you know killing everybody who's caught studying torah and it's a really messy martyrdom story it's like well uh, romans you know horrible gruesome story relevant to my subject right i, I can't escape the romans because they are all over the talmud because <laughs> That's how that goes. Right, right, right. But um, no, the Babylonians and Assyrians are the key to so much of the interesting stuff in the Bible. And um, I'm having a lot of fun uh, unpacking that lately. So Awesome. Uh, as I was preparing for this episode, I discovered that you have the rare privilege of mm-hmm. having been a crossword clue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was a weird day. I mean, yeah. Can you just like briefly tell us that story? Cause I, I kind of just want to know everything that has to be the coolest experience. Um, I was minding my own business, some random Sunday. And I don't even know how I found out but the internet exists and uh-huh. somehow <laughs> it was made known to me by someone that I know or some nice person on the internet or something um, that I was 83 down, I believe on <laughs> Washington post Sunday crossword flu. Um, I think it was something like, you know, a clergy such as Danya Ruttenberg Um and my guess is, my best guess is they were looking, they wanted to be cool and get a woman and not just be boring and get a dude, bless yeah. them. And they wanted somebody <laughs> who, you know, who was well-known enough and, you know, uh, like 
I'm I'm out there. There are a bunch of us out there, but uh, between Sharon Browse, Jill Jacobs, you know, I can think through a bunch of my my colleagues like Donya Ruttenberg (laughs) as the Jewiest of the names. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I could I can completely imagine imagine the editorial meeting and <laughs> I won. That's awesome. Hey, good job. Yeah. That's Do you so have a t-shirt amazing. now that says what was it 83 down? No, but it is it is it is my um the, it's the line in the bio that's going to be buried with me. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's a great line. Yeah. Oops, sorry. So your latest book on repentance and repair mm-hmm. is all about Maimonides' steps for forgiveness and reconciliation. Yep. And so I kind of have two questions here to get us started. Um, one, I you know, like in general, like when people are like Maimonides, who's that? Like what what do people like need to know about him? And then I'm real curious when you're man, do they call them mam fans or like what is Maimonides fan? Like when, when did your <laughs> like fandom the baby the, like the Bayhive? Um, <laughs> 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 the my the my i don't even <laughs> yeah the my the my i can't even finish this sentence uh appropriately it's just gonna go off the the the, the rails um <laughs> let's see i think probably before i mean listen everybody in like you know third grade Sunday school or whatever kindergarten learns like Maimonides' steps of tzedakah, like the ladder of tzedakah, like the ladders of giving, um, you know, the, like the lowest form is if you're not, if you're giving, but you don't want to give. And then it's, you know, uh, which is better. Like if the giver knows the receiver, but the receiver doesn't know the giver or the receiver knows the giver, but that right. And then the, the highest form is that you're, um, supporting somebody to basically be self-sufficient, right? So that they are no longer relying on philanthropic support, but rather can um, be self-sufficient and therefore be, go support someone else who is in need, right? Um, basically go be a business partner or whatever. Um, we all learn that in Sunday. Like everybody knows about Maimonides, but I... Um, Probably started learning about him before rabbinical school. Okay, this guy is cool. And then the summer, as I was starting rabbinical school, I started reading The Guide to the Perplexed. And it was like, oh, (laughs) oh, this guy and I, You know, there's that arrogance, but also like the true thing where sometimes you open a book of of one of the greats across history and you're like, oh, we're friends. (laughs) Oh, you saw the same thing I did. (laughs) Like, okay, he's read more, you know, he's like filtering his stuff through Aristotle and some of his ways of thinking I don't, you know, totally vibe with. And he's infinitely more brilliant than I am. And he's way more xenophobic and sexist and is from the 12th century. And (laughs) right. Like, like we are are not the same, but (laughs) his approach to connecting with the divine was like, okay, I I get you. And he, you know, I could like just his, 
way of approaching, of thinking about what creation is. I just, you know, it was like, yeah, man, I get you. Oh, you know, how does, how does something come from nothing? Right. That's one of the great philosophical questions. I was just like vibing out to this dude. <laughs> we could get each other. Um, and his stuff about repentance is, it's like it's fundamental in the Jewish world. Everybody mm-hmm. goes to Maimonides and repentance. Um, I, in rabbinical school, I did refer to him as my dead medieval boyfriend. I no longer do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's too much to critique. Um, but fundamentally, mm-hmm. I really do, you know, um, I, I think we share, you know, a, a deeply a similar outlook. He, he got like Talmud study is is like fine and lovely, but the whole point of the whole thing is contemplation of the divine. And if you get too stuck in the weeds and you miss mm. the point, mm. you got to reorient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he can be your ex. Dead medieval <laughs> yeah. boyfriend. He kind of is. Yeah. We're still we're still friends. Yeah. He still talks sometimes. <laughs> Me for it's coffee. Not you. It, it's definitely Perfect. him. But yeah. yeah, you don't avoid each other like at the grocery store. Like it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Rabbi, I think I remember first seeing you on Twitter, like seeing your thoughts. And uh, this, I don't know if this will surprise you, but some of your stuff gets passed sort of through some of the Christian circles that I'm connected to. Maybe that's good or bad. I don't know. It might depend (laughs) on the day. Um, What was the, I I think I have this right, that one of your, some of your threads and thoughts uh, on this topic about forgiveness, reconciliation, ended up moving into the book or becoming the book. Is that right? What, What happened there? What was that process? Yeah, so the book really honestly started on Twitter. Um, in 2017, there was a little thing called Me Too that happened. Uh, yep. And we all, as a culture, started asking new sets of questions about um, what it meant that there were all of these famous dudes who had acknowledged that they had been abusers mm-hmm. badly. They, you know, I'm, yeah, I did it. And it's terrible for my family. Yeah, I did it. And, you know, my fans are so disappointed, you know, like no mention <laughs> of the people that they had harmed. Right. Uh, yeah, I did it. And um, uh, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> sort of, uh, and that's, that's bad. Uh, yeah, I did it. <laughs> uh, if I did, as they said, you know, the, and all the like full on notes app with on the Instagram and thinking that that's the beginning and end of their engagement with the trauma that they caused to other people. Um, and people started saying like, okay, now what, right? Does Matt Lauer just go sit in the corner for 15 minutes and then he comes back and goes on a different TV show or how does this work? And I had been asked by someone to sort of write up some, you know, paragraph or two for a possible quote for a piece they were writing. And the piece came out and I was like, maybe I'll just throw up this, you know, what I had written 
online, maybe people would be interested. And it was kind of like, well, according to Maimonides' framework of uh, repentance, repair, uh, you know, all of that stuff, um, here's what we would expect to see if these dudes were serious. We cannot know what is in their heart, but here's some clues of what external symptoms of seriousness might look like. And um, the reaction to that thread was shocking to me. People were like, oh my God, like we ask the harm doers to do stuff. <laughs> like we don't just dump tons of emotional labor onto the victims and expect them to forgive, even though nobody's attending to their needs in any way. What? You know, mm. and, and because it's Twitter, which is this completely interactive conversational space, people were asking me questions and I was answering and I was engaging and for being forced to think through questions in a way that I hadn't been before because the laws of repentance, as I know them, as I've been trained to think about them, is like, if I cause harm to my spouse, if I cause harm to my coworker, and not if someone who has millions of fans causes harm, and there's the primary harm to the victims and the secondary harm of all of these witnesses who are now understanding uh, different things about gender, about rape culture, about what is or isn't okay as a result of what their hero is or isn't doing, right? Um, and so I had to sort of think through how this applied and sort of hold up my framework. And so the Twitter thread kind of turned into an op-ed and then the op-ed led to all of these radio interviews because all these people were like i read this op-ed oh my gosh let's talk mm. and you know of course it's the jewish holidays and so everybody's like we have a jewish hook let's talk to the rabbi and, <laughs> and everybody was like i have all these unresolved questions this thing happened in college what about this other thing in the news what about this what about that mm. and i kept getting pushed to think at this one lens these five steps as you know as i read maimonides i see five steps of repentance um and uh, so i i kind of kept getting pushed further and further and realizing that this lens could apply to institutional harm could apply to national harm and the lens kept not breaking to my great surprise and so mm. it sort of accidentally turned into a book honestly mm. it is what you were talking about right uh with the reaction that people had. I mean, I think it's, I think it's genuinely because we have such a culture that does not uh, imagine reconciliation really even at all. And I think that, I think when you look at our criminal justice system, you see that the uh, cat, we were talking before the show about chapter six in the book and, and Kathy was lamenting, you know, our, our criminal justice system is not set up uh, for any kind of restoration, which you observe, you know, in, in that chapter there. Um, and, and I think there, you know, there was, there was one bit, I'm sure I highlighted it, but I didn't write it down for my notes where, uh, I think you were talking about the Norwegian or maybe scanned maybe Swiss, uh, Swedish cr criminal justice system and how they, they call, uh, 
released inmates returning neighbors, right? And how like even the language that other places in the world use teaches us how to think about who these people are, who we are, what our relationships are. Um, and I don't know, like again and again. And so I'm, I'm a pastor. Kathy and Matt have both worked in uh, Christian, you know, ministries uh, as well. So we all, we all have a lot of like experience in evangelical world, evangelical leadership. And I, I think even in those spaces, I'm just staggered by how little relational connection is assumed and how little the relational fabric of the community is considered when there has been a rupture, you know? And, and I think that's one of the things I deeply appreciated about your book is how you kept pushing us back to saying, um, we have to consider these things, even when it's someone with 6 million followers, right? There's still a relationship there and the relationship is sort of dictating what the, what these needs are. And right. I don't know, like I, I, there's such a wide gulf between where you're calling us to and where we are as a culture um, that I was both inspired and like devastated. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, it's okay. (laughs) Is there anything rabbi that gives you hope about the possibility or potential that we here in the United States might one day reckon with national sins? Um, Because as you're writing in this book, you do offer examples and those of us who, you know, pay attention to the news remotely are aware that there are things that have happened elsewhere. So South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, Canada's ongoing work as imperfect as it is with indigenous um, communities. But here in the U S you know, I don't, is there anything that gives you hope? <laughs> I mean, you know, yes and no. Um, <laughs> we are in, in this moment in a very regressive moment. Um, and I think it is simply because the white supremacist power that has been in power for centuries realizes that its moment is coming and this is that backlash moment of, or the next backlash moment, I don't know, of, of kind of trying to um, hang on before even demographically, it it is no longer possible, right? Whiteness is no longer majority. And um, unless we promote Latinos to white and then we can hang on maybe a little while longer. Right. Right. Mm. Right. Um, Right. We managed to assimilate Jews into whiteness and we managed to assimilate Italians and uh, right. Um, But and and so, you know, uh, on the one hand, we're in this moment where sort of this like white supremacist patriarchy has is banning abortion is banning gender affirming care has banned um the the study of the true history of our country in uh i'm looking at a map as of april 2023 i don't know how bad it is even now a few months later uh anti quote unquote CRT, we all know that critical race theory is not actually what you teach in kindergarten. Uh, Anti-CRT <laughs> measures have been adopted by 28 US states. Um, I've got this map, I can show people, mm-hmm. you know, our friends on Zoom, you lovely people listening, K 
cannot see, but it's, I mean, it's, it's a terrible, terrible, um, you know, there are precious few places that are learning the true history of our country. And that's terrifying because that's paving the way for a next generation of ignorance, which it cuts off the you know possibilities of ownership and repentance at the knees. Um, on the other hand, we see, you know, the land back movement is moving, mm-hmm. right? It's it, more and more places are really taking seriously the, the work of returning land to the original indigenous peoples from whom it was stolen, um, whether that's through statewide measures and returning you know, state land or, um, uh, you know, it's it, nonprofits or raising money or individual bequests or you know, all sorts of really exciting things are happening with the land back movement. And I also just as somebody who does justice activism, I just, I take the long view of history and I cannot believe that this moment of sort of clenching and and gasping is going to be where we are forever. And I remain determined. Um, I I, I just, I I remain, um, it's a better word. Um, just completely secure in the conviction, naive or not, that the invitation offered by the 1619 Project, which was really so foundational and which itself, like one book sparred this whole anti-CRT movement, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> With like this invitation to tell the truth, yeah. which is the beginning of repentance and repair. Um, that it will happen, right? Tanahasi Coates' The Case for Reparations came out in, what, 2014? And the reparations conversation has advanced so much since then. Hmm. And of course, if we have financial reparations without changing white supremacist systems and structures, we're not, we're not doing the thing. We're just going to keep reinscribing the same harm again and again. But... Um, it's things are moving still. And I, I just, I, I believe that the path of change is not always linear. And, and the, like we see things happening even as the sort of, um, kind of stormtrooper movement of, of these um, vile laws are, are going. Uh, Rabbi, I was, uh, I was, watching Indiana Jones with my, I think she was maybe 10 year old at the time. And she Mm -hmm. didn't know who the Nazis were. Oh my God. Like like she was like, why are we watching this show about a guy robbing people of their cultural artifacts? She's like, I hope he gets caught by those other guys. I was like, those other guys are bad guys. Those are the Nazis. And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about which she knows now Um, we had a long talk about it. Uh, She's learned many things, but I was thinking about you write some in your book about how forgetting can be this piece 
of it makes it difficult to get to justice. You talk about the erasure of the Dakota nation mm-hmm. in Minnesota, and you quote a, a professor who is Dakota, and his name is I'm sorry, professor. I'm sure this is wrong. Waziyatawin. Yeah, her. Who? Oh, her. Oh, I'm really sorry. In a variety of ways now. Um, so she she said that uh, to many Minnesotans, truth telling may seem an unnecessary educational goal because there's no awareness of a denial of truth that essentially because they, they don't, yeah, they, they don't see a reason for telling truth because they didn't know they weren't telling the truth in the first place. Right. What, tell us a little more about that, like covering up genocide and those sorts of things. How, how does that play into this conversation? Uh, so I guess this is where uh, it's a quickie overview of the steps of repentance as I read in Maimonides might be useful. Um, Step one is confession, owning fully the harm caused. No, here's what I meant. I, I'm really a nice person. Sorry if like, you were offended. <laughs> no, we don't care what's what's in your bones. Yeah. Like, here is what I did. Um, I cannot have been a feminist and done those things to women, right? Thank you, Dan mm-hmm. Harmon of uh, Show on Earth Community, right? Um, own fully the harm you did. Um, which is not the apology step. It is just the naming and it is praiseworthy to do in public because not because we're putting you in the stocks, but because a, it's an ask for accountability. I'm about to do some big, deep, hard work and I can't, nobody can do that alone. I'm going to need some help on this journey. And B it's an end of gaslighting to the harmed parties and C it, tells anybody who might disbelieve the victim that no, you guys has happened and it's real. Right. So that's confession Two, start to change, right? Uh, if you're gonna try to say you're sorry to this one person, you run around and keep doing the thing. We don't, we don't want it. So what do you need therapy? Do you need to call your sponsor? Do you need to ditch those toxic friends? Do you need uh, education on anti-racism or trans liberation? If you're an organization, do you need to change your HR policies, right? Oh, do you need to change your white supremacist systems and structures, right? Like what needs to be different? Um, start to change. Might take the rest of your life, might take three weeks. I don't know, what did you do? Start to change. Um, then amends. You can't undo what you did, but how can you sew up the hole in the universe that you created? Is it involve time? Does it involve money? Does it involve use of your labor or connections? Or I don't know. How do we know? You ask the harmed party. They're the one who knows, not you. We can get into all of that. And then apology all the way down here because you've done all this transformational work. You're so different from the harm doer already. And so that apology is coming from a really different place. And then step five, um, naturally and organically, you've done all this deep transformational work. So when you have the chance to do the harmful thing again, you're not gonna because you're different. And the path you're going to take is going to be a different one. Um, So with all of that... Uh, the forgetting right step one is well, what was the harm like what happened <laughs> yeah name it name it uh-huh. yeah. and if we don't know that the harm happened we have to talk about that um if we're running around 
thinking it's fine and dandy that we're occupying this land. Well, let's talk about what actually happened here, um, wherever here is. And um, if I don't know why you're so angry, (laughs) like, (laughs) speaking, let's let's pause, let's slow down and, and have a conversation instead of me being like, you're just, suddenly being all pissy at me i don't know know what her problem is right Mm -hmm. i I think yeah i think in that in that same section what there's a quote or the uh, part part of part of the professor's quote is this like acknowledgement that the pain of that realization keeps a lot of majority culture people from ever even wanting to go there because because we didn't know, because when we find out uh, even like the tip of the gruesome iceberg, it is <laughs> horrifying. And then it seems like there's no end to the evil, right? It seems right. like it's just how, how many times do I have to keep apologizing? I hear, I hear that one. Once a lot. would be nice, mm-hmm. actually, if we could start with that. <laughs> um, right. Uh, I, so, for instance, um, one of my new all-time favorite horror movies is this Guatemalan horror movie called La Llorona, which is a, it's actually arguably not even really a horror movie, but it's about the, uh, the Guatemalan, the Guatemalan genocide that happened in the, uh, Guatemalan civil war. And this general who it's, it's like one of those that's so thinly veiled that everyone in Guatemala knows exactly who the movie's about, even though they changed his name, but he was, he was put (laughs) on trial for crimes against humanity. He was found guilty. The Supreme court of Guatemala overturned the conviction and then he was deemed unfit to stand trial. And so he died without ever facing any justice. And so the movie is like basically a creative, like if we can't get him in the courts, we'll get him in our imagination kind of a thing with a ghost. Mm -hmm. Um, And literally, like as I'm watching the movie for the first time, I'm on Wikipedia going, is this real? Like, did this really happen? Oh, it did. Oh, the U.S. backed it. Oh, my God. Like what? You know, (laughs) like what? Um, Were you shocked? I was. I was. I mean, I was I was genuinely horrified, you know, but not by the ghost, by Again, the fact that this genocide happened, it was backed by my country's uh, military and never even heard a whisper about it, right? Like it was so not on my radar, I randomly stumbled upon it because I like weird horror movies. Um, it's the same thing with uh, Black Wall Street and Watchmen, right? When when that all was revealed. And so uh, b- because you're a rabbi and because I know you've had a lot of these conversations, not just in your own congregation, but in, in the public sphere, uh, have you found any helpful techniques or tips to help people who are more like me get there? Like to, to, to be willing to face that pain? Or, I mean, I don't know. Like it just like feels- Like you meaning really, white people? Well, yeah, like someone like me who didn't even yeah. know. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like- Majority culture, I'm, I'm cis, yep. white, hetero, Christian pastor. Like, I doesn't get more top of the pyramid than me, you know? You um, could be a CEO also. I you guess even I have yeah, facial right. hair, so. I, right, I mean, come on. And so, you like to barbecue. And you have yeah, so many tattoos. I, okay. You ride a motorcycle. Um, <laughs> um, 
Amazing. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Rabbi. We just we try to keep them humble. Just we're trying. No. Um, I'll I'll just you know let me know when the barbecue is over. Um, <laughs> Everybody's hungry. <laughs> yeah, it's cooking time. Um, uh, I mean, you know, listen, there's no magical recipe. And I, too, am a human person who is not immune from having my own reactions to my own stuff when it intersects with my own privileges. I, I, I will first fully name that. And, um, and it's hard. And, and I think we all, when we are faced with these, you know, horrific truths of what has been done in our spaces, sometimes in our name, um, I, you know, and in our name is, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm full on like my ancestors were running from the Cossacks when America was X and Y and Z, but oh, look, I'm over here benefiting from white privilege and collecting it left and right and, you know, living on this land and, 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 right? It's uh, America's harms are are uh, my debt to pay now. Um, I'm not Israeli, but as an American Jewish leader, I have to I, I i i don't get to wipe my hands and say oh what's happening in israel isn't my problem whatsoever right i want to so badly but um uh the horrific assault of human rights is something that i have to engage with right and um the denial is tempting and we have to just be brave and walk into the pain and say, like, you know, my discomfort is not greater than someone else's pain. Mm -hmm. And right now I have I'm here to 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 shut up and listen and to to learn and to sit with the discomfort. And I think sometimes when we're faced with horrible truths there's this panic of like oh god now there's gonna be all of this like what does this mean for me you know right. if i if i acknowledge that there is someone sitting on the corner who is hungry and i look them in the eye and i smile and make small talk with them does that mean that they have to live in my living room right right yes if i acknowledge their humanity is that put me on the hook for having to be responsible for for this individual forever or can i just see them and treat yeah. them with dignity and, and and is that like can i just start by acknowledging what's what's happening right and and being present with that and can, rabbi can i, can I ask yeah. you something real quick related yeah. to that uh i'm struck as you're saying that that maybe part of that is that people instinctively know there needs to be repair mm -hmm. if they recognize this would you would you say that's true is that oh, yeah. part of yeah okay. and they want to run and they want to you know but and, and and there's that sense of well gosh i don't want to i don't know what the answer is so i'm just going to run away from the whole thing hmm. rather than pausing and being willing to do step one 
which is see and sit with the discomfort and sit with the pain, be willing to cry, be willing to feel angry. And then, you know, the next step is, okay, where's my role in this work? And, uh, you know, we need all hands on deck and there's a lot of deck. And not everybody can do all of the things and we can't all fix all of the problems, but probably I can be useful somewhere, right? So what's going to be my role? And I I, I personally, like, I, I cannot, like, I'm working on a bunch of things and I don't have the capacity to also add housing justice to my plate. Right. Yeah. Right. And I have to trust that somebody else has got that because I'm over here doing other things, right? right. And so somebody yeah. else who's working on housing justice has to trust that, you know, uh, repro justice work, right? And other kinds of work, like that somebody else over here is doing that. And we just have to all, if everybody shows up, then, then work will get done. Right. Right. I really appreciated, um, as I was reading your book, um, and particularly, I, you know, we've mentioned chapter six just devastated me, um, that you point to systems of community and that the offender has to also know that that person is in community because that deep work cannot happen alone. So I'm thinking a lot about the narrative here in the U.S. about bootstraps and self-made people and all that kind of stuff, which is reiterated in any any generation and race, ethnicity, the buy-in to that lie then pushes us away from many of our actual cultural values and systems that are in place to help us work through that initial fear that this mistake will ruin the rest of our lives because we have seen that actually happen to people here in the United States. And so I, I don't, I'm so grateful that you have, hope and that you see things moving and that you are not looking at this current time as where we will remain because I have those moments where I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is like, this is it. How, how do we as a country dig ourselves out of more than half of the States barring certain types of learning, which is really connected to truth, right? It's erasing Mm -hmm. truth. So how can you even, I don't know. So in all that, this brutal experience (laughs) and life in general, um, how do you take care of yourself um, doing this kind of work in your, as you are leading a congregation and doing public work? Because one or the other could be really, really challenging, but you're doing both. So how, how do you take care of yourself? So, okay. To clarify my, I, I don't lead a congregation. I'm not okay. a pulpit rabbi. Okay. Um, that is amazing, important, holy work. And um, 
is not what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Some reason never been my path. Um, but I, I, I serve as scholar in residence to national council of Jewish women. So I am an org rabbi. And, um, so part of how I take care of myself is that my activism is my full-time job. And so I, it's not, you know what I mean? Like that is like, that's what I do. And <laughs> that is sometimes really, really hard. Yeah. Um, I honest, the, the honest truth is that, uh, you know, not all of what we do, but a big component of NCJW's work is around reproductive health rights and justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we organize the whole Jewish community to fight for everybody's health rights and justice. We have people um, on the ground in probably uh, we have we have sections in all fifty states and. Um, we have 50 sections, not in all of the states, and we have lobbyists in many, many states working on the state level. We work on the federal level. Um, I organize, we have 2,500 rabbis for repro that organize their communities. Like, this is what we do. Um, and that the, the September 2021 from when Texas fell ah. through the fall of Roe through the end of that year, I, you know, the sort of that was a lot of adrenaline and cortisol. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and big um, dominoes falling. Ooh, um, so, uh, yeah, the self care has been really, really important. And for me, that's just hunkering down with my family. Um, I've got three kids. And that is on the one hand, a lot of work, but also the, that's for me, that's the bucket <laughs> filling, right. And the snuggles and the, right. Yeah. All of the good stuff. And for me, writing really is um, just so key to my own well-being. So I have this newsletter that I do. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's like, for me, that's self-care. Honestly, I get um, it's, it's like the, um, the way I sort of dump out all of my agita. Yes. And there yeah. are some of the, some weeks you can tell when it's like <laughs> having a feeling. <laughs> can you tell? <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, and, and the usual things that people do, right? You have to, you have to know when to stop. You have to know when to take the day. You, know, you have to know when to take the nap. Um, and Shabbat is a non-negotiable part of my spiritual practice, mm. right? Everything goes off. Everything goes um, into rest mode. Um, and I think I would die without it. Probably. <laughs> Whoever invented it, man, it's a good idea. Yeah. Well done, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought you it was know? that my mom, my mom, Mitty's. No. No. My money gets zero credit. <laughs> zero credit. Oh, all right. Yeah. Humanity's first labor law. <laughs> well, Rabbi, it has been such an honor to have you on. And uh, readers, I swear to you, we I don't know that we even scratched the surface of the book. Uh yeah. we, we uh it is it is so rich. Um The newsletter is great too. 
Yeah, it's you've already mentioned the newsletter. Uh, I think we're all faithful subscribers already, so it's wonderful. Uh, where else do you, I mean, I assume that's the main place you like to point people if they want to stay connected to you. Uh, where else do you like to point folks to follow what you're doing? Um, I mean, you know, the usual places on social these days, sadly, Twitter is a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's memory be for a blessing. Um, I'm on Blue Sky, Instagram, Facebook. I, I don't, you know, occasionally other places, but I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> no. um, yeah, and and mostly the Substack. Life is a sacred text. Substack.com, um, which is Bible commentary and nerdy miscellany, and you know, crossed with uh, social justice rants. <laughs> love it listeners yeah. our guest today has been rabbi danya ruttenberg her book on repentance and repair is now out in paperback Woo-hoo! so you can get a slightly more affordable copy if that's what you've been waiting for uh otherwise you just need to get it and read it because it it uh it will make you a better human if you Listen and don't just hear it. Did I say that right? Mm. Yeah. Do, listen and do what it says. Uh, so again, Rabbi, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. The light. Yay. Well, we're back uh, with a new season. So I know we all have a giant backlog of what's been fascinating us. So Matt, I, uh, you also, you were striking all summer. Yes. So I'm assuming you had a little bit of extra time to power to the people by things. What, uh, what, what has been fascinating you lately? All right. Kathy already knows this, but I don't know. I think I told you this chair. I have been watching a Norwegian television show that's on Netflix called Ragnarok. And it is about, there's this little town up in the mountains of Norway that was the last town to be Christianized. So it's literally where the Norse gods died, right? The last of the Norwegian people became Christian. Hence Ragnarok. Hence Ragnarok. Uh, And what's happening is there are all these, there's this CEO, this big company that is destroying the environment. So a a lot of actually what we've been talking about, about institutional justice, community justice in today's episode Um, But you find out pretty quickly that the CEO and his family are maybe giants, like old Norse (laughs) giants. And this new family has just moved to town. And it's possible, maybe, this kid's having some weird experience that this 16-year-old kid might maybe be Thor. And so it's all about, like, can one 16-year-old kid who happens to be able to throw a hammer really hard and maybe shoot lightning destroy uh, institutional... Uh, like the environmental institutional issues that are going on in his town. And it's, it's just fun. Like it's interesting. It kind of takes it slow and careful. Um, It's yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I, no one else that I've talked, I think one other person I've talked to has watched it. Um, But yeah, I'm telling my kids watch Ragnarok and they're like, I don't know, but it's, I think they would enjoy it. I think you guys would enjoy it. I think our listeners would enjoy it. Ragnarok. By right. the Norwegian people. I've scrolled past that multiple times and, and never knew enough about it to, to hit play. So maybe I'll I think it's one you can't be on your phone when you're watching. Right. Because you got to sit there and like you got to right? read it. Yeah. But they do have a dubbed version. But I like, no. I like the original voices. The purest. Yeah. You hear the sing songiness of the Norwegian. Oh, yeah. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning <laughs> lots of things like Thor's name is oh Thor. Thor. 
Tour. Tour is a hammer Mjolnir. You think you're tour? <laughs> oh my gosh. Here we go. Uh, Kathy, how about you? Okay. I have been uh, recommending this uh, everywhere for the last week. So I'm listening to an audiobook. Um, Michael Harriet's uh, Black AF History. So I know some folks are reading the actual book and I don't know if in every reader's mind you can kind of translate his intonation and sarcasm, uh, how gifted you are in that. I imagine I could probably do it for myself, but I am thoroughly enjoying his narration of his own words. I am cackling out loud, but also slightly horrified at the history that he is teaching. Some things I knew, some things I didn't, but I think it ties really well with what uh, Rabbi Danya was saying about you need to know the truth. And in order to deal with uh, your sins, your wrongdoings, and our country's wrongdoings, we need to really understand and know. And since we don't know, it it leads to the understanding that people don't want to apologize because they don't think that anything is wrong. So I am enjoying the book. It is wonderful. It is delightful. It is hilarious. It's horrifying. Uh, Michael Harriet is a terrific public historian. Yes. I have enjoyed yeah. following yes. him on, uh, once again, Twitter, RIP, uh, mm-hmm. for ages. His threads are staggering. So, yeah, I did not know this book existed. I yeah. literally just bought it to listen to, per your yep. recommendation. Uh, one question, Kathy. Yes. Had you recorded your soon-to-be best-selling audio book with Matt Michelotis before or after listening to this book? Would it have changed your performance? Oh, Um, yeah, I think I did a pretty straight read for our audio book because, and I don't think it it would not have changed it because I am not sure. I know my, my readers would have understood my intonation and sarcasm. I am hoping that this book will have new readers who are not familiar with who mm-hmm. I am. And so I don't want to confuse them in this. Oh. So, yeah. They'll come listen to your podcast and go, this must be a different Kathy <laughs> Tom. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, well, I JR. Have, do either of you listen to Olivia Rodrigo? Yes. No. Okay. Have you listened much to her new album, Guts, Kathy? Yes. Is it so good? It is amazing. And um, and I love how she's processing lots of anger and yeah. disappointment. And I was singing along with Vampire the other day <laughs> oh, I in the car, song. in the car with Corbin. And Corbin was like, you know the words? <laughs> and I said, yes. And I know the non-radio words. Yeah, you do. Mm. Uh, I've been struck as I've, I, I don't even know why, like I knew driver's license cause you know, everyone heard that song. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just, it, it came up in my new music recommendations. And so I, I listened to the album was immediately transfixed. And so I've been listening to it a ton 
for the last couple of weeks. And I'm really struck by the way she leverages irony uh, differently in her more upbeat songs and then in her ballads. Because it seems like in a lot of her upbeat songs, she's using it to sort of um, mock and uh, skewer and, and satirize. And then in her ballads, it's it's more of a lament uh, in the way she will make these statements that are, you know, uh, self-consciously not true uh, and then spin them. Uh, and, and again, a lot of that's the instrumentation. A lot of it's her voice, but just really interesting stuff happening uh, in this album. And again, I think she has masterful vocal control. And so what she's choosing to do at different points in the various songs, I don't know. I just I've, I've really enjoyed it a lot more than I anticipated. Um but I do want to throw out a book I've been reading because it is Hispanic Heritage Month. And so I have, I have, I'm about a quarter of the way through a book called Bad Mexicans by Kelly Lytle Hernandez. And it is a, it's the history of the Mexican Revolution and how that affected both the U.S. culture and then obviously Mexican culture. <laughs> but again, you talk about Sounds history good. that history that you never knew uh, before before we even have gotten like the whole first part of the the whole like part one of the book is like the lead up to basically how the major players in the re- in the rebellion got radicalized and uh, one of the things again I didn't know is that the dictator that they overthrew Diaz uh, basically sold Mexico to American companies. And uh, companies like the Hearsts and the Gettys and the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and the and there's a, a line in the book where the author writes uh, the people who the people who bought these uh, tracks in Mexico is a, like a who's who of American robber barons, and then she goes through and documents how none of the corporations that came down did anything to invest in the Mexican communities they're working in. It was literally just basically strip mining Mexican resources and sending them back to the U S. And so again, looking at all of these names, the Gettys, right. Knowing them as these extremely wealthy families in America and seeing like, Oh, again, one of the major ways they got their wealth was by completely like gutting Mexico Mm. and then looking at, looking at Mexico today and the way that we as a U.S. culture are interacting with them. And saying like, why can't they just take care of things themselves? And it's like, no, like we we did this. This was us. We we did all, you know. So uh, I'm learning a ton. I'm still, like I said, only a quarter of the way through the book, but it's it's really really well written. Um, I highly recommend it, especially you know, especially this month. So there you go. Uh, okay, now before we sign off, we need to catch up on what y'all have been doing over the summer. So Matt, do you want to give us a little strike update? Because I think you have some pretty good news. Yeah, we've been on strike for almost five months, which is crazy. But by the time you listen to this, the Writers Guild membership will be voting on an offer from the studios to for our next three years, essentially, our three-year contract. Uh, it's a really good contract. I'm sure there are things that could be better. I'm sure the studios think there are things that could have been much worse. <laughs> so I don't know that they're thrilled with what it ended up being, but... Uh, we're all back to work as a, like, the the day that we're recording this is our official first day being able to talk to studios, talk to each other about work again. So, yeah, writers are back. Now we got to get the actors, get out there to sag after and get them back uh, with a new contract as well. And, of course, the auto workers and video game workers. And there's a bunch of people on strike right now. Um, but, yeah, hope the summer of the strike. 
we're uh, moving into fall. So hopefully we're, yeah. we're going to see more and more agreements being made. Uh, with the strike being lifted, are there any projects you want to tell any of the listeners about to be watching out for? Well, unfortunately, uh, what it largely means is that we're the machinery starting up again and we're going to be getting back at it. I can say that Going Home, the TV show that I wrote for, uh, is season two is coming out in December. So that's not too far away. Uh, but yeah, we can talk more about that when we get there. But yeah, there's a lot of projects I'm working on and a lot of exciting conversations we can start having again that we were in the middle of months and months ago. Uh, Kathy, what about you? What Anything this summer you've been particularly proud of you want to point to? Oh, I'm proud of surviving. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm proud of surviving. There was, I I think summer was a big travel season for a lot of my fellow yoga teachers. So I was subbing a lot. And I think I'm still amazed at what physically I'm able to do and really grateful for my health, but also um, uh, still trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, But you know what? Actually, uh, Matt and I finally met in person. Oh, that yeah. was one of my highlights. We haven't summer. talked about that on the show yet. Yeah. So oh, we man. recorded our audiobook in August. And listeners, you know that this is this ongoing conversation that I have, like J.R. Clay and I have met in person in real life and we've hung out. Um, but Matt was this kind of like uh, imaginary <laughs> person that I knew I saw on Zoom. And we <laughs> even wrote a book together, but had not met in person. <laughs> and yeah, I was a little disappointed that he is not the tallest. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he said he wasn't the tallest out of the, the guys, but um, but yeah, he wasn't the tallest, so that was weird. It's hard Wait. to compete with that tall drink Did, of water. Claim was right. I still the nicest? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Wear platforms next time. We can. Yeah. We can, okay. We can do this. Well, and I mean, who knows? The next time we meet, I'm on the like shrinking side of my life. Mm. So Clay might be shrinking too. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. It's possible. Uh, speaking of which, the episode where we, where I get to interview the two of you about your book is only like two weeks away. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh man. So, uh, listeners, make sure you get that book pre-ordered if you have not already, because it's terrific. <laughs> um, what have you been up to? I've been writing a bunch of articles, so I actually have. <laughs> Can you say three... it with more enthusiasm? I know. I actually, listen, I have three spooky season articles in the pipes right now. Uh, I have one for Sojourners that is uh, which Enneagram number various horror movie monsters are and how that gives us <laughs> clues to how we can heal if we're that number. Oh, fun. Uh, <laughs> you know, so you don't become <laughs> a monster, right? Um, and then I have a couple of listicles for tour. One is uh, similar to one I did last last year, which is like, here's some like overlooked horror gems, you know, games, books, movies that you may, you know, they weren't Evil Dead or The Exorcist, so they might have fallen through the cracks. And then the other one is a another listicle that looks at possession films that are not told inside of a Christian context. Oh, and cool. How, how possession stories change when you don't assume that the solution is to quote Dr. Evil, an old priest and a young priest. Uh, so that'll be a, a fun one as well. But I, currently right now, I do have an article up at Tor 
on possession films and how they change by generation. I look at The Exorcist and The Conjuring films and Talk to Me, the movie about the haunted party hand, uh, which was horrifying. And then over at Sojo, uh, Sojourners, I have an article on a movie on Amazon Prime called A Million Miles Away, which is a biopic about the the first migrant farmer to become a NASA astronaut. It's a true story. Uh, and as really, I thought like, again, for a biopic, they all kind of have a formula. And this one did some really interesting things with that. So... Those are live now. The rest are coming for spooky season. So you have to wait on those. But yeah, lots of writing this summer uh, and doing that. So, well, folks, we are officially back. Uh, It is good to be back with you. We have a pretty packed fall schedule. Really excited about a lot of the stuff we have coming up next week. Our friend Alex Schwartzman is coming back to the show. Uh, He has a new book out that I will say is sort of about the inevitability of incompetent leadership. Uh, which I know none of us has ever had to struggle with, but I'm sure we'll find something interesting to talk about. Just kidding. It's great. Alex is great. And we can't wait to have him back on the show. Until next week, uh, please make sure you reach out and follow Rabbi Danya. She is terrific. Uh, Take care of yourselves out there and take care of each other.